0: Not everybody's died, and so the tears are dried, and we'll drink and drink and drink and drink, and then we'll drink some more, we'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass out, wake up, and go drinking once again. Happy St. Patrick's Day! Happy, Happy St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day! Yeah, our episode has nothing to do with St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. I kind of didn't even think about it, because I wanted to cover these two different stories that bad. It's okay, because I'm Irish,
1: mostly Irish, so I'm here with you.
0: Yeah, and you got your green in your monitors,
1: too? I do, I do. Yes. I
2: honestly forgot. Are you wearing any green? Yeah. Where? My eyeshadow, which you can't see because it's in red light. Oh,
0: yeah. It's kind of hard to tell. But I got my shirt on, Drunky <laughs> McDrunkinson, because uh, she's the spirit of the Irishman. Well, like I said, welcome to Hans Graves and Omens. Welcome. Welcome. My Hello. name is Fred Stewart, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host. Taylor. Hi, Tay. Hi. And once again always and forever, until the day that he drops dead, it's Marty (laughs) Cowick on camera. That might be soon enough. (laughs) We have two hours. (laughs) But welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for watching the pod and enjoying the the stuff we've been putting out. If you've been enjoying the video, like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Um, Last week was a heavy hitter, and it was very, very gnarly and very intense. Um, But this week... We are going to dive into the two most Irish uh, things ever, which is public destruction and robbery. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it's all takes place in the U.S. This has nothing to do with Ireland or the Irish, Um, but this is going to be two different true crime stories. Okay. The story of how two men changed the tactics and weaponry that law enforcement carries every day and how one man lost his cool and rampaged against an entire town. This is the stories of the North Hollywood shootout and Killdozer.
3: Oh, yes. Let's yes, fucking go. Like,
0: I just wanted to say, so last week,
1: like, I don't really know what the episodes really entail, you know, because I hear like kind of bits and pieces, you know, or like, and last week before that episode started, I was like, yeah, I'm excited to get into this. <laughs> and then it like, when it got into it, I was like, damn, this shit is heavy. Like, um, you know, I'm not excited to hear about that stuff. Like, it, yeah. it's interesting to me. Uh, to hear about it, you know, and it sometimes it needs to be heard and stuff But like I wasn't like, you know, I was like, oh, I said I was like hell excited for it Yeah, not but knowing then, what you're walking into. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing but the, this week cuz you you've you've told me before we We've talked about these stories a little bit here and there and uh, I am actually excited for these ones for sure
0: Yeah, hopefully with this uh, episode, I might be able to put some of the footage up on screen um, Probably maybe not as we're watching maybe in post. Maybe we'll see But um, we're gonna start off with the North Hollywood shootout, which was one of the biggest shootouts in police history. And it, and I'll get into the reason why it changed so many things. So, uh, Larry Jean Phillips Jr., born September 20th, 1970, and Decibel Stefan Emilian Emile Mashtadaranu. I'm just gonna call him uh, Email. Uh, first met in the Gold's Gym in Venice, Los Angeles, California, in 1989. Phillips, he was a uh, pretty tall dude, pretty big, and so was Email. They had a mutual interest in weightlifting, bodybuilding, and firearms, which is a total dude bro thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, like check out these guns, bro. Like, check out these fucking guns, brother. Look at those guns, bro. Look at those guns. And then he's like, how about these guns, bro. it, what's up? You know. Um, but before meeting. Philbus was a, a habitual offender responsible for multiple real estate scams and accounts of shoplifting. Um, Email was actually born in Romania to parents who relocated uh, to Los Angeles in 1974. He was a qualified electrical engineer and ran a relatively unsuccessful computer repair business. Oh, so, you know, there's some little background on these guys on July 20th, 1993. Um, Phillips and email robbed an armored car outside a branch of the First Bank in Littleton, Colorado. On October 29th, they were arrested in Glendale, Northeast Los Angeles for operating a stolen vehicle. Uh subsequent search of their vehicle after Phillips was surrendered with a concealed weapon found two semi-automatic assault rifles, two handguns, and more than 1600 rounds of 7.62x39 uh, rifle ammunition, which is what they put in AKs.
1: Yeah,
2: Jesus. Or SKSs.
0: Um, yeah, or SKSs. They found 1,200 rounds of nine millimeter and, uh, and uh, <laughs> 1,200 rounds of nine millimeter and 45 ACP rounds. Uh, they found radio scanners, smoke bombs, uh, improvised explosion devices, IEDs, bulletproof vest and three different California license plates. So these guys are very prepared. Wow. Jeez. Initially, they were charged with conspiracy to commit robbery. Both served 100 days in jail and were released on three years of probation due to a plea bargain. Um, after the release, most of their seized property was returned to them except for the confiscated firearms and explosives. Obviously.
2: Obviously. Uh,
0: on June 14th, 1995, Phillips and uh E-Mail actually ambushed another Brinks armored car and... Uh, when Atika, Los Angeles, killing one guard, Herman Cook, and seriously wounding another, in May 1996, they both robbed two branches of Bank of America in San Fernando Valley, of Los Angeles, stealing approximately 1.5 million dollars. What are you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm just setting up. Ah! So we weren't looking.
0: Yeah, the pair were dubbed the High Incident Bandits by investigators due to the weaponry they had used in the robberies, um, in in, in, in their attempt in North Hollywood. So let's get to the bread and butter of the North Hollywood shootout. If my PC will load, excuse me. I guess no episode today. Oh my goodness fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on the morning of February 28th, 1997, after months of preparation that included extensive um, uh, like reconnaissance of their intended target, the, F- the Bank of America branch located at 6600 Laurel Canyon Boulevard, Phillips and Email armed themselves with semi-automatic HK-91s and several illegally converted to uh, Type 56S rifles, a fully automatic type uh, 56S1 rifle, and a fully automatic uh, Bushmaster XM15 uh, Dissipator. So, fully automatic ARs and and machine guns, uh, which is fucking wild. Um, Coincidentally, I've actually been to this bank. Uh, I was in Los Angeles a couple of years ago, and uh, I was I had to stop at the bank to get some cash out because I wanted like to tip the bartenders in cash. Yeah. Because uh, it's usually what I do when I travel is I go to a lot of cool bars. And uh, I, as I walked into this bank, I was like, this place looks really familiar. And then I was like, I know exactly what this place is. <laughs> um, it was really, really quite odd. So... The robbers allegedly filed uh, a jam jar with gasoline and placed it in, in the back seat with the intention of setting the car and the weapons on fire to destroy the evidence after the robbery. Phillips wore roughly 40 pounds of equipment, including type three, a bulletproof vest and groin guard, a uh, loaded bearing vest with multiple military ammo pouches and several pieces of homemade body armor created with spare vests covering his shins, thighs and forearms. So dude looks like a fucking juggernaut from call. Of yeah, 8. yeah, yeah. Super, super packed up. It's crazy. Uh. Emil wore uh, only a Type Three boulder vest that included a metal ballistic plate to protect his vital organs. Initially, each man had uh, had watch a sewn uh, had a watch sewn on the back of one glove in order to monitor their timing, because like at the time it was like you have eight minutes or something like that until law enforcement shows up. Mm-hmm. That's like the whole the whole true crime stereotype thing. Okay. Before entering, they both took uh, the barbiturate uh, pentobarbital prescribed to, uh, what was that, phenobarbital? That's phenobarbital. Phenobarbital <laughs> prescribed to uh, email as a sedative to calm his nerves. The forensic toxicology laboratory in the coroner's office later found that, um, was it epinephrine? That's
2: endephrin.
0: Uh, Endephrine and? phenol mean for what taylor said <laughs> okay. and phillips blood as 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 well as uh phenotonin and so email's blood why would they go into this all like sedated
2: kind dude of? that's I, P-
0: probably I, because I, cause that way they're nice and calm yeah yeah okay, i mean
2: okay. uh, phenobarb, phenobarb is are hard though yeah that is a hard fucking why, drug
0: why that's, is it doing that's this?
2: not a that's not a fuck around and find out it's like or that is a fuck around and find out sedative. It's not like a just a chill sedative. It knocks you on your ass.
0: Yeah. So let's get to the robbery portion. If my, I said if my PC will load here. Phillips and email were driving a white 1987 Chevrolet uh, celebrity. They arrived at the Bank of America branch at the intersection of Loyal Canyon Boulevard and Archwood Street in North Hollywood around 916 a.m. They set their watch alarms for eight minutes, the police response time they had estimated, like I was talking about. To come up with this time frame, uh, Phillips had used a radio scanner to monitor police transmissions prior to the robbery. I don't know if you said it or if I didn't catch it, but what year was this? This was in, excuse me, 1997. 97. Um. So they uh, are monitoring police radar radios. They have their watches set. As the two were walking in, they were spotted by two LAPD officers, Lauren Farrell and Martin Perello, who were driving down a loyal can- a Laurel Cannon in a patrol car. Um, Officer Farrell uh, issued a call on the radio, 15 Adam 43, requesting assistance. We have a possible 211 in progress at Bank of America, and then 211 is the code for um, bank robbery. So within moments of them exiting the vehicle, they've already been spotted. Yep. So as they enter the bank, each armed with the uh, Nor- Norisino Type 56 S1 rifles, Phillips and email forced a customer leaving the ATM lobby near the entrance um, into the bank and then onto the floor. Security guard inside saw the shuffle and the heavily armed robbers and raided his partner in the parking lot to call the police. The call was not received. Philip shouted, "This is a fucking holdup!" Before he and Email opened fire into the ceiling in an attempt to scare the approximately thirty bank uh, staff and customers, and to, to uh, discourage resistance. So it's straight out of a fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. we walk in, it's, like, it's a fucking holdup, and like, like, literally, like a like a scene from like Dark Knight. crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, Email shot open the uh, bulletproof door which was designed to only resist uh, low-velocity rounds, so like 9mm pistol rounds, right? Yeah, yeah. And gain access to the tellers and the vault. The robbers uh, forced assistant manager John uh, Villagrana uh, to open the vault. Villagrana obliged, uh, uh, obliged and began to fill the robbers' bag full of money. However... Due to the due to a change in the bank's delivery schedule, the vault contained significantly less than the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars the government had expected. So email, enraged at this development, argued with um, the bank manager and demanded more. In an apparent show of frustration, email then fired a full drum magazine of 75 rounds into the bank's safe, destroying much of the remaining money. He then attempted to open the bank's ATM, but due to a change in policies, the bank manager no longer had access to the money inside. Before leaving, the robbers locked the hostages inside the bank vault and in the end, they left with only $300,000 and three die packs, which later exploded, ruining the money they stole. So,
2: he got upset that there was $750,000 less. So then, his only thought ...is to shoot a gun and just ruin the rest of the money.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't really give a shit, you know? Well, he's, on, he's on all these drugs, too. That's true. So, he's probably not thinking too well. So, this is going to get into why this case is so important, okay? So, outside, the first responders, uh, officers heard the gunfire within the bank and made another re- uh, radio call reporting shots fired, before taking cover behind their patrol car. While the robbers were still inside, additional North Hollywood Division patrol and detective units arrived and took strategic positions in all four corners of the bank, establishing a perimeter around it. You know, standard procedure.
2: Yeah.
0: At approximately 9.24 a.m., Phillips exited through the north uh, doorway after spotting a police cruiser about 200 feet away. He opened fire for several minutes. Jesus Christ. Not a quick volley, Several minutes, and there's there's footage of this shit online. It is crazy. Dude God. walks out and just goes, and starts dumping rounds, uh, like dumping rounds. In the initial shooting, Phillips wounded Sergeant Dean Haynes, uh, officers uh, Martin Whitfield, James uh, Zabronavin, and Stuart Guy, and detectives William uh, Krulak and Tracy uh, Angeles as well as three civilians that had been taking cover behind Sergeant Haynes' patrol car. Phillips also fired at an LAPD uh, helicopter flown by Charles D. uh, Paraguay Jr., and it surveyed the scene, as it surveyed the scene from above, forcing it to draw to a safer distance. Phillips briefly retreated inside, then re-emerged in the doorway, uh, while uh, Ymao exited through the south exit. Phillips and e continued to engage officers, firing in sporadic bursts, and patrol cars have been positioned on Loyal Canyon in, uh, Canyon in front of the bank and in the parking lot across the street. So they start coming out and immediately are dumping hundreds of thousands of rounds. God. Just fucking laying it down. That's fucking nuts. Crazy. Straight out, straight out of a movie. So... Officers who were uh, mostly armed uh, with then LAPD standard-issue Beretta 92FS 9mm pistols, Smith & Wesson 1538 Special Revolvers, and a 12-gauge uh, Ithaca Model 37 pump shotguns and continued to return fire to both robbers, but quickly found out that their handguns and shotguns were not able to penetrate the body-worn ar- armor worn by Phillips and Emile so they're fucking hitting him with 9mm rounds, 12 gauge rounds, and it's doing nothing other than pissing them off more. Yeah. And there's, I, I will, I guess I will try to post footage of this. I can even maybe put it in the links or something like that. But it's crazy because, like, there, there's a one section where I want to say the news gets on the scene. It might have been from the LAPD chopper. I'm not entirely sure. But it's an overhead view from a helicopter. And um, Phillips is laying down fully automatic gunfire, just putting fucking rounds down while bullets are striking behind him and striking him. And it's not even phasing him. Damn. And mind you, they don't have helmets on. Yeah. So So they're getting lucky to not catch one in the head. Exactly. So, um, this was, uh, compounded by the fact that most of LAPD's officers, service pistols had an insufficient range at longer distances, Whereas most officers found themselves positioned uh, relative to the bank's entrance, an officer was heard on the LAPD radio frequency demanding 10 to 15 into the shootout. uh, Approximately, uh, um, approximately 10 to 15 minutes into the shootout, warning other officers that they would not quote not stop the getaway vehicle. They got automatic weapons. There's nothing we have that can stop them. Additionally, the officers were pinned down by heavy sprays of gunfire. Coming from the robbers, making it extremely difficult to attempt a headshot with their handguns. Several officers uh, acquired uh, five AR-15 style rifles from the nearby gun store to combat the robbers. So I'm going to get into that real quick. So it takes a long time for you to get a SWAT activation in these kind of situations, right? right? And especially when it's immediately happening, right? This is this is only within a, a, a you know a few minutes since the robbery is started. And so a lot of these officers and people are pinned down behind walls and behind cars and stuff like this, and they're 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 trying to engage, they're trying to get their fellow officers out of line of out of fire, and they're realizing that they're not able to make, um, you know, the, the sufficient damage to these guys that they have to to neutralize this threat, so. They load up in a, in a car and they fucking haul ass to this lo- this local gun store and they explain to the, the gun store owner they're like We're fucked right now. We need I'll, I'll, I'll buy whatever you want. Let's like just give me just something and the uh, the gun store owner goes I'll do you one better. I will loan you these five AR-15s Just go just go. Here's all the ammo you're gonna need go and just gave him the guns. Yeah, what a fucking gangster bro fucking Honestly. gangster absolute gangster, right? So um, two locations adjacent to the bank's north uh, parking lot provided good cover for officers and detectives. Police likely shot Phillips with their handguns while while Phillips was still firing and taking cover near the four vehicles adjacent to the north wall of the bank. Um, One location that officer Richard uh, Zelensky of Valley Traffic Division uh, effectively used as cover was the adjacent Del Taco's restaurant wall, which was 315, 351 feet from Phillips, which, which is fucking close. That's really close. Yeah. Uh, Zelensky fired 86 9mm rounds at Phillips and is believed to have hit Phillips in the exchange. Um, Zelensky was also able to use this portion of... Uh, used his position to draw Phillips' fire away from Sergeant Haynes and Officer Whitfield, who were both winded, wounded and only had a marginal cover behind the trees across Laurel Canyon Boulevard. So this dude takes it upon himself to to, to take fire. That way his his friends and his, his, um, his coworkers can exfil and get out of there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the other location... Um, that provided uh, advantages for the LAPD was the backyard of 6641 Agnes Avenue. Was a It was a cinder block wall, provided a relative cover for several detectives shooting at Phillips with their nine millimeters. Uh, Detective Bancroft and Detective Harley, in particular, were able to position themselves behind cover and fire 15 to 24 rounds at Phillips from a um, distance of approximately 55 feet They were close. Yeah. Real close. Yeah. So imagine you are in this backyard. You're a detective. You've seen, you've probably seen some shit, right? You've probably been in a gunfight before, but you've never been in a gunfight like this. Now you're in somebody's backyard and you're 55 feet from a dude who is covered in body armor and is dumping 7.62 rounds like it's the fucking end of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Terrifying. (laughs) Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um. After email, uh, back to Chevrolet Celebrity out of the handicap space in the North Hollywood lot. Parked the handicap space. What an asshole! Uh, <laughs> Philip received a gunshot wound to his left wrist. Based on helicopter news footage that showed him to react in pain, which is the footage I was talking about earlier. Um, we actually see him get tagged, and that's the like. I believe that's the first time we actually see him physically react to this pain. Yeah. Um. At the same approximate time, LAPD gunfire struck the Heckler and Kosh rifle that Phillips was firing, rendering it inoperable with a penetration to the receiver, uh, basically meaning no more pull the trigger, nothing happens. Hmm. Phillips uh, discarded it, rearmed himself with another assault rifle from the, the trunk of the sedan, because their trunk was open throughout this entire shootout, and um, this will stay consistent. They will... Dump fucking rounds. If they can't dump time to reload it, they'll just grab a new gun and keep shooting. That way it's almost continuous gunfire.
2: That's insane.
0: So, this is where the SWAT activation starts to begin. After LAPD radio operators received the second officer down call from the police uh, at the shootout, a tactical alert was issued. Uh, SWAT team was um, put on to activation. Donnie Anderson, Steven Gomez, Peter uh, White terror and uh, Richard uh, Massa arrived 18 minutes after the shooting had begun, which is record fucking time. Yeah. Um, They arrived with ar 15s and wore running shoes and shorts under their body armor as they had been on an exercise run when they had received the call. Upon arrival, they, were, they commandeered a nearby armored truck, like a branch truck, yeah, uh, which was used to extract wounded civilians and officers from the scene. Damn. Wow. Crazy. So another piece of this story. That is um, really crazy is after the shooting went out, a lot of news agencies have scanners in their vehicle, Mm -hmm. right? And they, um, a lot of news agencies actually showed up and started filming the robbery, not knowing that they were actually going to be within the shootout. And there is, there is some crazy news footage of these guys hunkered down behind a car um, and you can just hear near constant automatic gunfire zipping over the top of the car room. and this dude is like hiding behind the tire like trying to get like you know trying to maintain cover and it's insane
2: holy smokes
0: um he was shooting at helicopters news helicopters police helicopter literally if, if it moved he was shooting at him they were shooting yeah. at it. absolutely insane so while still in the parking lot email was shot in the right buttock and the right leg and the left forearm A fourth projectile lacerated his upper right eye socket and prompted him to duck behind the hood of the getaway car in shock. He subsequently abandoned his duffel bag full of money, entered the getaway vehicle, and started the engine. Phillips uh, retrieved the HK91 from the open trunk and continued firing upon the officers while walking alongside the sedan, using it as cover. This is all being televised live. Yeah. So you're watching as his car is slowly moving and he's just going just fucking laying it down. As Phillips uh, approached the passenger side of the getaway vehicle, he was hit in the shoulder and his rifle was struck in the receiver in the magazine the bullets uh, fired by police. Again. Yeah. So after firing a few more uh, shots with one arm, Phillips discarded the HK retrieved the Type 96 and and before exiting the parking lot uh, and retreating onto the street, uh, while uh, email drove down the road, so they completely separated by this point, right?
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, Phillips is running down the street. Email is driving in the car. Okay. At nine fifty-two a.m., Phillips turned east on Archwood Street and took cover behind a parked semi-truck while he continued to fire at the police. L- Lieutenant Michael uh, Ranshaw, officers Coronado Torres. John um, Caparelli and Ed uh, Brent linger until his rifle jammed. And this is all being televised live. Right. Unable to clear the jam, he dropped his rifle, drew his Beretta 92 FS pistol. We began firing when he was then shot in the right hand by officers Coronado Torres causing him to drop his pistol. He went down. He he, uh, retrieved it, placed the muzzle under his chin and fired. Blowing his brains out live on television.
2: Jesus, crazy. Yeah.
0: Well, you're probably thinking, um, "Well, hold on." As the as he fell, officers uh, John Caponelli shot him in the upper torso, severing his spine. Either um, either bullet may have been fatal. Uh, officers across the street continued to shoot Phillips' body several times as he was on the ground. Oh yeah. After the firing had stopped. Officers in the surrounding area surrounded Phillips, handcuffed him. The officer, he was deceased at this point. It was still, it's still a standard procedure done Render by law around. enforcement um, and removed his ski masks, uh, ski mask. So they took it off. Now you're probably wondering what about the car and email, right? Well, his vehicle was rendered inoperable after two of its tires were shot out and the windscreen was covered in bullet holes. And he's also being followed by a news helicopter or a helicopter of some sort. At 9.56 a.m., he attempted to carjack a yellow 1963 Jeep Gladiator on Archwood by shooting at the driver, who fled on foot uh, three blocks east of where Phillips died. He quickly transferred all his weapons and ammunition to the getaway car, but was unable to operate the Jeep due to the driver engaging the electrical kill switch before fleeing, so get wow. fucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, as uh, KC uh, KCBS and and KCAL helicopters hovered overhead, a patrol car driven by SWAT operators Donnie Anderson, Steve Gomez, and Richard Massa quickly arrived and stopped on the opposite side of the truck where the Chevrolet was stopped. Um. Emile left the truck, took cover behind the original getaway car and engaged them in a two and a half minutes of almost uninterrupted gunfire. That's Jesus a long time. That's a long Christ. time. It is. is. I'm I, And I, I know I keep saying this, but this footage of this shootout is by far one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Ever. It is insane how much fucking ammunition these guys had.
1: It's that's nuts because I've been in a situation to where I was being like not shot at directly, but I was in the crossfire of gunfire and it probably lasted for a good 30 seconds and it was continuous gunfire for like 30 seconds, which is probably like over 100 rounds. You yeah, because uh, there was multiple people, but in that moment, it felt like a fucking eternity, bro. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. It was it felt like it was never gonna end. It was nuts. And it was only like thirty seconds long. So I can't imagine like however long the shootout went on like even that one where it's two and a half minutes of continuous gunfire, but it was pretty much the whole
0: time was continuous gunfire. Yeah. It's nuts. It's it's actually insane how like how f- intense this shootout is Be- and, and I'll, I'll kind of explain, uh, I've already kind of re- even literally hinted to it at one point of how this changed law enforcement tactics forever. Right. Um, so it's two and a half minutes of near uninterrupted automatic gunfire. Um, chest armor, uh, deflected a double tap from SWAT uh, officer Anderson who briefly winded him before he continued firing. And, um, Double tap being, he fires two rounds right to the mm-hmm. chest. It just deflects. Nothing happens, but it knocks the wind out of him. Um, so, Anderson, uh, the operator, fired his AR-15 below the cars and wounded um, e in his unprotected lower legs. He was soon unable to continue and put his hands up to show surrender. Seconds after uh, Emael's um, him getting downed, officers rushed to pin him down. As he was being cuffed, off uh, SWAT operators asked him for his name, for which he replied, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Pete. It was Pete.
2: I like how that's his, his name suggestion. Yeah. Like, he couldn't think of anything, so he's like, it's Pete.
0: Yeah. And uh, uh, when asked if there were any more suspects, he reportedly said, fuck you, shoot me in the head. <laughs> so. All right. Okay. Yeah, okay. You know.
1: But, like, <laughs> <laughs> these guys we're not going to go
0: to jail. No. Yeah. yeah they had. They had, They were not planning on going to jail. No. Uh, ambulance personnel were following standard procedure in the hostile situations by refusing to enter the hot zone as the area was not deemed cleared and email was still considered to be dangerous. Uh, police radioed for an ambulance, but email loudly swearing uh, profusely and still goading um, the police for shooting him. Uh, died before the ambulance. The EMTs were allowed to reach the scene almost 70 minutes later. Wow. Jeez. Yes. Uh, during a later lawsuit against the retired policeman, John Ferderell and James Vojtechy, uh, and the city jurors her testimony that involved the ambulance crew that arrived but left without email after Vojtechy. Uh, uh, allegedly told the crew to get the fuck out of here <laughs> which yeah. honestly it, it, it yeah, yeah. It, there there is, there is reasons why these things are um, put into place like this it's it's because it's you know these paramedics don't carry weapons like law enforcement does right. they have no way to defend themselves you gonna stab someone with shears when they're shooting at you with a fucking AK probably not no. right or an AR so definitely not happening um, the ambulance driver testified um, that he believed that he was in danger by being in the area. Officers testified that they tried to get the ambulance to come back or to get another one, but the plaintiff's focus on the point uh, at which uh, Fidel canceled the ambulance call and told the dispatcher, we have no officers or citizens down, only a suspect. Uh, a later reports showed that Emile had been shot 29 times in the legs wow. and died uh, from trauma due to extensive blood loss from two gunshot wounds to his left thigh. So most of the incident, including Phillips uh, death and the surrender of email was broadcasted live by news helicopters, which were hovering over the scene and televised the action as the events unfolded over 300 law enforcement officers from various forces had responded to the city wide tactical alert. By the time the shooting had stopped, Phillips and email had fired over eleven hundred rounds. Approximately a round every two seconds. Jeez. Wow. That is a lot. So a
1: lot, did, yeah. did you say exactly how long this whole instance lasted for from the time they got in the shootout to the time they were uh
0: killed? Let's see. So um this would be 956 is when email was was shot down mm-hmm. um, and then the shooting started at excuse me excuse me um, at 916
2: less than an hour
0: less than an hour which is a long
1: fucking period of time to be like in a gunfight you know. Yeah, yeah so about 40 minutes
0: this uh, this
1: whole shootout occurred. Because I would say most gunfights, you know, the like average amount of gunfights probably don't last more than a few minutes, you know. Yeah. Like unless you're like in a military op or something,
0: but just gunfights on the streets, you know. Yeah. Don't last very long. No, they, they're they're very very short, and they what's super unique about this um, the situation, other than the fact these guys are rocking on back weapons and they're it's they're fully armored up, is like on average a law enforcement shootout like that. Um, or any shootout where you're going hand like going like you know gun to gun fight against mm-hmm. somebody, you're usually within ten feet of each other. Yeah, you know, like that's usually you're not really extending that that difference, right? Because right. more, more often than not, these guys are carrying pistols or
1: drawing, shooting, yeah. shooting, shooting, shoot, and get they run cover. out of ammo, or you know they get taken down, whatever. You know, it's like
0: yeah, and they're not they're not dumping eleven hundred rounds right in forty minutes. Now. Um, These guys were rolling like an army of two status Legitimately like an army of two status Like it's unreal The amount of firepower they had And the um, Amount of like Almost like Tactical X training of like Reloading and firing Reload fire and like you know just continuous Gunfire that way they're pinning Everybody down Yeah right So, quick inventory of the weapons used. The Bushmaster XM-15 converted illegally to uh, fire full auto with 200-round beta magazines. The Heckler & Koch HK-91 semi-automatic rifle with several 30-round magazines. The Beretta 92FS... Inox with several magazines, which is what Phillips blew his top off with. Um, The reason I'm being so disrespectful is because fuck these guys. The uh, three different civilian model Kleshnikov style rifles, which were legally uh, converted legally to fire several, sorry, legally converted to fire um, full auto Mm -hmm. with uh, several different 75 to 100 round drum magazines as well as 30-round box magazines. So they were they were fucking dumping rounds. Yeah. Uh, it was speculated uh, during the news reports that Phillips had uh, legally purchased two of the Type 56 rifles and then illegally converted them to fully automatic. However, Phillips was a convicted felon, so it was not possible for him to legally purchase firearms. Mm-hmm. Um the two well armed men had uh, uh, fired approximately 1,100 rounds, while uh, approximately 650 rounds were fired by police. So, total, it was almost double the amount of <laughs> rounds. Like, yeah, it was a total of um, <laughs> 1,750 rounds total, almost 2,000 rounds collective Jeez. over 40 minutes. Yeah, that's
1: like a gunfight, you know, you see, like, uh, like the military get in with like, you know, a,
0: like e- e- even if that, I mean that yeah. th- even that's ex- excessive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Super excessive. like this. This is like insane. And this this is just happening in North Hollywood. This isn't mm-hmm. like, you know, like they're in like, you know, uh, they're fighting in a combat zone and it's, you know, you're en- engaging a large, large enemy force. Yeah. This is just two guys. Yeah. That's it. Just two guys. um, Following their training, Uh, The responding patrol officers directed their fire toward the center of mass or torsos of Emile and Phillips. However, their body armor worn by Phillips and Emile covered all their uh, vital organs except for their heads, enabling them to absorb pistol bullets and shotgun pellets. While uh, Emile's chest armor, uh, thanks to the steel armor plate, successfully withstood the hit from the SWAT uh, officer's AR-15, the several pistols. Carried by the first responding officers were of insufficient power and used the wrong type of ammunition for penetrating even pistol rated soft body armor. Hmm. Furthermore, the police were pinned down by fully automatic suppressive gunfire, making it difficult for them to execute the type of well-aimed return fire that would be required to attempt headshots. Uh, which is why when you see him shooting at him, it's kind of hitting all around him. You know, when they're yeah. standing outside the bank, it's because mm-hmm. they're they're this dude is just going like this back forth, back forth, just shooting. Uh, if he, if it moves, he's shooting at it. So they're yeah. like pop up, fire couple rounds, go down, takes takes rounds, and they're just doing this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If I'm not mistaken, too, also on some of the
1: footage you had showed me previously, because we were talking about this the other day, mm-hmm. uh, they were even shooting at like the helicopters, like the news helicopters, yeah, in the sky. They
0: were shooting at everybody. Literally everybody. Um, So the Phillips was shot 11 times, including the self-inflicted gunshot wound to the chin, while e was shot, like I said, the 29 times. And he had the the least amount of armor. So talk about some casualties. Um, There is only two deaths in this story. So 12 police officers and eight civilians were injured. And the only two to die were the suspects. So Sergeant Larry Dean Haynes, the the sergeant who was one of the first to arrive on scene, he was hit in the left shoulder. Officer Martin uh, Whitfield was shot and seriously wounded four times in the left arm, right femur and the chest. Officer Coroner uh, Torres was grazed in the right side of the neck. Officer James uh, Zabronovin was shot twice and seriously wounded in the lower back, hip, and thigh. Detective William John Krulak was hit in the right ankle. Detective Tracy Angeles was grazed in the stomach and buttock. Um, Sergeant, or, sorry, Officer Stuart Gray was hit twice in the right femur and the right uh, forearm. Detective Earl uh, Valadez was hit in the right of the head by flying debris. Uh, officer Ed uh, Brettlinger was hit by gunfire, um, by con- uh, concrete fragments in his face and forearm. Um, officers Officer William Lantis was hit in the right knee, and Officer John Goodman was sh- hit by flying glass and shrapnel. And the uh, officer David Grimes was injured in a traffic accident. Damn. Yeah. Um, as for some of the civilians, we had people shot in the face. One was, um, struck across the the head by the stock of an assault rifle when they entered the bank. Um, someone was struck across the face. Um, a lot of people were hit by like flying glass and shrapnel. Some people took some, some gunshot wounds to the left ankle, uh, hit in the left of the chest. Um, and obviously, um, Larry and email. Um, Larry uh, you know, Phillips blew his blew his top off while Emile died due to his blood loss. So, out of all you know, seventeen hundred rounds fired, the only people that died was the bad guys. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Putting all these people's lives in danger who were just trying to go to the bank, trying to work their jobs. Yep. And they got greedy. So, I said before that this actually played a key piece in the way that law enforcement handles things now, right? And the way they operate and their tactics and things like that. Well, this shooting contributed to motivating the arming and of rank and file police officers, you know, like standard officers Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles and nationwide with semi-automatic rifles like AR-15s. This is why cops carry AR-15s now is because of this story.
2: That makes
3: sense.
0: That's nuts. The ineffectiveness of these standard (laughs) small caliber uh, police pistols and shotguns and penetrating the robber's body armor led to a trend in the United States uh, towards arming selected police patrol officers, not just SWAT teams, with heavier firepower, such as semi-automatic AR-15 rifles. SWAT teams whose close quarters battle weaponry consisted of submachine guns that fired pistol cartridges such as the Heckler and Kosh MP5, uh, for those gun nerds out there, began supplementing them with AR-15 rifles and carbines. Hmm. It's why cops carry fucking rifles now. Yeah. It's because of this story. That's hmm. crazy.
1: I didn't know that that they didn't always do it, but so they've just been doing it since like
0: Late nineties, early two thousands, mm-hmm. basically, yeah. This is the reason why, yeah. So on April nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven, police raided a house in Anaheim, traced to Phillips and email. Uh, among the items seized include incendiary seven six two by thirty nine ammunition, flak jackets, and ballistic helmets, and approximately four hundred thousand dollars in stolen cash and various firearms. Damn, they had Jeez. they had ballistic helmets and they weren't wearing them for whatever reason. Um, one particular firearm, a short barrel error 15 with an aftermarket red dock site was later, uh, released from evidence for use by a law enforcement agency. <laughs> Damn, <that's crazy. laughs> so the, they don't say what agency it was. I imagine it was probably LAPD. Yeah. Um, but I do find it, or maybe Anaheim, um, But I do find that kind of funny that they were like, (laughs) they were like, like, this gun's dope. Uh, We're going to use it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking this. This This shit's
0: crazy. Um, seven months after the incident, the department of defense, the DOD gave uh 600 surplus M16 rifles to the LAPD, which were used to each patrols, um, issued to each patrol, patrol sergeant, excuse me, patrol sergeant, uh, LAPD patrol vehicles began carrying air 15s as standard issue with bull resistant Kevlar plating in their doors as well, which was like, hmm. it's, it's, crazy how much this has changed things um, also as a result of the incident LAPD authorized its officers to carry 45 ACB uh, ACP caliber semi-automatic pistols as duty sidearms specifically the Smith and Wesson models uh 54 4506 and 56 uh f- 5566 um, you know semi-automatic patrol uh, 45 acp pistols prior to 1997 only lapd swat operators were authorized to carry the 45 pistols specifically the m1911 a1 the semi-automatic pistol so very interesting Hmm. um on June twelfth, nineteen ninety eight, LAPD uh, PD Chief of Police uh, Bernard C. Parks released to the board of the police commissioners a uh, memorandum detailing his review of the officers' use of force during the February twenty eighth, nineteen ninety seven Hollywood shootout. The uh, Memorandum contains many detail uh, many details about the sh- uh, shootout including the badge numbers of officers and detectives where they re- positioned themselves in the perimeter around the robbers and with distances of fire how many rounds they fired from each one of their weapons etc etc Parks commended the department personnel for their actions to distract the robbers and obstruct the robbers from attempting to evade the police the um, random list, um, the injuries of all the officers who received injuries at the hands of the robbers. So, of course, a lawsuit on behalf of Emile's Children was filed by lawyer Stephen Yagman uh, against the members of LAPD, Detective James uh, Wojcik and Officer John Fitzgerald, claiming that uh, Emile's civil rights have been violated that, that, and that he was able to bleed to death. The lawsuit was tried by the United States District Court in February and March of 2000 and ended in a mistrial with a hung
1: jury. Here's what I see. Like, when you're firing fully automatic rifles at, like, police officers and or, you know, civilians who are, like, everybody's completely innocent. Mm -hmm. I think at that point, you know, civil rights kind of goes out the window with, like, Oh, like with like the like the, the the right to render aid and like shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're trying to kill people, you know, like actively. Like you don't have time to even think about civil rights in that moment of like like, should I... Re- just going crazy, you know? Yeah,
0: like, should I read this guy's rights? Yeah. Should I, yeah no. Should, should I, like, advise him that he has the right to remain silent? You know, like, read his Miranda rights? Yeah. Like, like, like no. You know, he just he just dumped fucking a couple hundred rounds at me for two minutes straight on this shot, one street. Shot some civilians and
1: probably some of his friends. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like,
2: the other thing that I think of is they also did not know if there was more than just the two. So yeah, there was no yeah, way to yeah. know that the scene was even safe. It's true. So... Until they know, guess who's not coming on the fucking scene?
0: Yeah, medics. There's, there's, and, um, uh, and, uh, like this is also kind of one of the other th- reasons why medics and shit carry body armor. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's just, there, this is a situation where it's very unique in the set of circumstances because it's never, this has never happened before. So, like, you know, sure, they may have been in a, in some crazy shootouts, but this is, this is a this takes borderline, like, you know, Ground force combat against two heavily armed individuals with automatic weapons yeah. that the law and enforcement doesn't have. Probably
1: right. most police officers didn't have train that type of training back then to even deal
0: with shit like that. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, well, they 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 definitely had the the I mean definitely tactics and stuff has yeah, changed yeah. since this, but they they all did the relative right thing of like position themselves you know far away then start returning fire. But you can only do that so much when you're being constantly suppressed yeah yeah, yeah. you know um, so uh, the suit was later dropped when emails family agreed to dismiss the action with a waiver of malicious pr- uh, malicious prosecution uh, a, the year following the shootout 18 officers at laPD received um, the departmental Mel- medal of valor for their actions and mes- President Bill Clinton hmm. In 2003, a film about the incident was produced titled 44 Minutes, The North Hollywood Shootout. And in 2004, the Los Angeles Police Museum in Highland Park opened an exhibit featuring two life-size mannequins of Phillips and Emao fitted with similar body armor and clothing they wore and the weaponry they use. Also on display at the museum is the robber's getaway car and Officer Marlon Whitfield's LAPD squad car. Coincidentally, that place is very, very haunted. I know we were thinking that, like, how are we talking about ghosts? We're talking about true crime. But allegedly, that room that houses that stuff is the most haunted and most violently active poltergeist room in the entire building. People will walk in and feel the hands, like, like holding onto them, or feel, like, scratches, or a lot of violent attacks. So who's to say that these... Guys' uh, spirits aren't, you know, are still around, and they still want more blood. Yeah, um,
2: was was
0: there a? It was on Ghost Adventures. Yes.
2: Okay, I was gonna say, was it a Ghost Adventures like episode? Because I feel like we watched it. Yes. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> so very excited. What do you guys think about the North Hollywood shootout? Oh man, that was, was... like,
1: uh, like, um, really. Hard to like not pay attention to. I I don't know the right words. You know, it was like really engaging. Like, yeah, Yeah. definitely edge of your seat kind of story. Like, it's holy shit from beginning to end. That
0: story is insane. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's no lulls. There's no low points to that story. Just, just like when you when you think about it, forty four minutes, seventeen hundred. In 50 rounds. So if you think about it, as long as you've been
1: explaining that whole story, that's how long that fucking gunfight was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so since I've explained this entire story, that's how long that gunfight was. Yeah. That's fucking... That's insane. So, now we're going to dive into Killdozer.
2: I I do know this story. Yes. I know. Well, I I knew both of these stories, but I I know this one because we watched... uh... I think we watched it separately right around the same time though.
0: <laughs> yeah. Marta, I don't know if you want to <laughs> you can do that. I don't know if you want to um... never mind. I'm stupid. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I was thinking about something but it's already it's here. It's done. Anyway. Uh, So let's talk about Killdozer. Excuse me. All right. So there's a car alarm going off outside yeah. somewhere. That's why I was like hearing some shit. (laughs) So, uh, Marvin John Heemeyer born October 28th, 1951 was an American automotive muffler repair shop owner who following a dispute with town officials demolished numerous buildings with a modified bulldozer in Granby, Colorado on June 4th, 2004. So, um, Like I was saying, he was born in October 28th, 1951 in South Dakota. He lived in Grand Lake, Colorado, about 16 miles away from Granby. Um, According to a neighbor, Meyer had moved to town more than 10 years before the incident. His friends stated that he had no relatives in the Granby, Grand Lake area. John um, Baldry, Baldry, a friend of Meyer's, said that he was a likable person. Heemeyer's brother Ken stated that he would bend over backwards for anyone. However, while many people described Heemeyer as an affable person, local resident Christine Baker claimed that her husband was threatened by Heemeyer after refusing to pay for a disputed muffler repair. Baker said that her husband later paid Heemeyer the $124 to get him off his back.
2: See, they always, everyone always says like, Oh, they're they're such a nice guy. <laughs> they're fucking not.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, he mired like I think he was just like a pissed off old guy, you know, was just yeah. like Fuck, yeah. pay my fucking money you know, like just pissed off, you know. Yeah. But like just like hot headed. Like because yeah. I, I don't really get like any like scumbag vibes from him. Like every every interview I get, like I don't get any scumbag vibes, it's always like He was just kind of an asshole sometimes, but, like, when he was cool with you, he was nice, you know? Yeah, Like, that's that's the kind of vibe I get from Heemeyer. So, uh, in 1992, Heemeyer purchased two acres of land from the Resolution Trust Corporation, a federal agency organized to handle the assets of failed savings and loans associations, for a uh, $42,000 to build a muffler repair shop. He subsequently agreed to sell the land to Cody uh, Dochef uh, to build a concrete batch plant, uh, the Mountain Park Concrete, for $250,000. And In- according to Susan um, Dochev, Heemeyer changed his mind and increased the price to $375,000, uh, then to a deal worth approximately $1 million. The negotiation happened before the uh, rezoning proposal was heard by the town council. In 2001, Granby Zoning Commission trustees approved the construction of the concrete plant. He Meyer unsuccessfully appealed the decision, claiming the construction blocked access to his shop. He was subsequently fined $2,500 for not having a septic tank on his property of his mu- that his muffler shop occupied. Right? So he is pissed off. Yeah. Okay. He's he's getting feels like he, the town is attacking him and he's like, I'm paying all the fucking money, even though I I didn't like want to do this. And he's just getting all crazy in his head. So talk about Killdozer. He Meyers Bulldozer was a modified uh, Komatsu D355A, uh, which he referred to as the MK tank in audio recordings fitted with a makeshift armor plating covering the cabin engine and parts of the tracks In places where this armor was over one foot thick, consisting of a 5,000 pound PSI, quick concrete mix sandwiched between sheets of tool steel, um, and, uh, to make an AD have a composite armor. So he fucking stacked this thing with body armor, you know, like, I mean, just armor plating. Yeah. Um. This made the machine impervious to small arms fire and resistant to explosives. Jesus Christ. Oh, it literally was a tank. (laughs) It was literally a tank. Three external explosions uh, and more than uh, 2,000 rounds of ammunition were going to be fired at uh, a killdozer here here later on, and it's going to have no effect. For visibility... The Killdozer was fitted with several different uh, video cameras linked to two small monitors mounted on the vehicle's dashboard. The cameras were protected on the outside by three-inch um, shields, of bulletproof uh, Lexan, which I believe is like some sort of, um, let's see, I believe it's some sort of like clear glass. Yeah, it's polycarbonate, So it's like a bulletproof glass, essentially.
1: Talk about, like, premeditated. You know, this guy worked on this fucking bulldozer for mm-hmm. a long period of time, just planning and planning and planning,
0: you know? Oh, yeah. Like, and it, It's about to get more crazy <laughs> it's in a second. crazy. It's about to get more crazy in a second. So, he compressed uh, air nozzles were fitted to blow away dust from the video cameras. So... Even thought about, what if I get some dust in the cameras? Yeah. Thought about that far. Jeez. Onboard fans and air conditioning were used to keep Heemeyer cool while driving. He made three gun ports fitted for one 50 cal uh, rifle, a 308, excuse me, a 308 uh, caliber semi-automatic rifle, and a 22 caliber rifle, all fitted with a one half inch thick steel plate so we went we went from
1: a two-man army to now a one-man army <laughs> yeah literally literally
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, authorities initially speculated that he uh, might have had like a homemade crane found in his garage to lower armor uh hole over the dozer and himself Hemeyer uh apparently had no intention of leaving the cabin once he entered it quote once he tipped that lid shut, he knew he wasn't getting out." Dolly said. The investigators searched the garage where they believe that He had built the vehicle and found cement and armored steel. Quote, it is interesting to observe that uh that I never sorry, it is interesting to observe that I was never caught, He wrote. This was a part time project over one and a half year time period. <laughs> Jeez. So he worked on yeah, it for a that's minute. That's how long he was planning on just going on a fucking rampage. Yeah. So he was surprised um that several men who had visited the shed late in the previous year had not noticed the modified bulldozer, especially with the two thousand pound lift fully exposed somehow their vision was clouded
2: they just they just saw well, it and were yeah. like huh." Also you see
1: something like that, you know, and if you're not like in particularly like looking for something like that, it probably just looks like a piece of heavy machinery, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're not mm-hmm. a
2: bulldozer or fanatic. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, like there's probably not a ton of people that could see something like that and think like, holy shit, this guy's building a tank. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I don't know. Are you a
0: are you a big bulldozer guy? I mean, you might see it, but like I'm a big killdozer guy. Yeah. <laughs> Killdozer's crazy. So Let's get to the sauce. The sauce. So (laughs) on June 4th, 2004, meyer drove his armored bulldozer through the wall of his former business, the concrete plant, the town hall, the office of the local newspaper that uh, editorialized against him, the home of the former mayor, which the mayor's widow was then resided, a hardware store owned by a man He-Meyer named in the lawsuit, as well as a few others. And he's going on a fucking rampage. So he was just pushed to the edge. Pushed to the edge, and he was like, I, if you want to try to, because in in, my, in his mind, he's being attacked by the, by everybody. Yeah. So he's like, I'm just going to attack you. So Heemeyer had uh, leased his business to a trash company and sold the property several months before the rampage had started. Um, So the attack lasted two hours wow. and seven minutes. Damaged 13 buildings. Jesus! It knocked out natural gas service to the town, the concrete plant, damaged a truck, destroyed part of a utility service center. Despite the great damage of the property, no one besides Heemeyer, by, well, I don't want to expose that, was killed in the event. The damage uh, was estimated at seven million dollars. According to the Grand County Commissioner James Newberry, emergency dispatchers also used the reverse nine one one call emergency system to notify residents and property owners of the rampage going on in the town. Hmm. Would that
1: have been like modern days? It would have probably been way more
0: expensive. Oh, damages for sure, for sure. Um, so. Defenders of Heemeyer contended that he made a a point not to hurt anybody during his bulldozer rampage. Ian Daughtry, a bakery owner, said meyer, quote, went out of his way not to harm anyone. Others offer different views. The Sheriff's Department argued the fact that no one was injured was not due to good intent as much as the good luck. Heemeyer had installed two rifles and a firing port on the inside of the bulldozer and fired 15 bullets from his uh, rifle at power transformers and propane tanks. Now while <laughs> and, and the, the people say he had no ill will was they're definitely wrong and I'll, I'll get to that here in a second, but he, uh, quote he had um, these tanks ruptured and exploded. Anyone within a half mile of the explosion could have been endangered, the sheriff's department said. 12 police officers and residents of senior citizens complexes were within the range. He Meyer fired many bullets from a semi-automatic rifle at Cody uh, Dochev. When Dochev um, tried to stop the assault on his concrete plant by using a scraper, which was pushed aside by He Meyer's bulldozer. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and, and can't Dochef. stop a killdozer.
2: Dochef is the one that he had like the major issues. Yes, that is correct. That okay. is correct. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So Hymar later fired two, uh, fired on two state patrol officers before they fired at him. The sheriff's department also noted that uh, eleven of the thirteen buildings Hymar bulldozed were occupied until moments before their destruction. At the town library, for example, a children's program was in progress at the time of the incident. Jeez. So the go back to talk about those. Um, Him shooting at these these officers, right? So law enforcement gets on scene and they're they're shooting small caliber rounds There's actually there's footage of this they're on they're on top and they're trying to find ways to fit their pistols inside They're trying to they're trying to stop this 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 killdozer, and it's not working well at one point um, one of the officers is off and I believe this when he was tacking the concrete plant he, um, they're shooting at it, and the bulldozer turns his butt end towards the officers, right? And they're like, "Oh, he's gonna be, you know, trying to head out," and this shield drops from on the back side of the dozer, dozer and Jesus all you see is Christ. this big ass fucking barrel and that Damn. was the Barrett 50 Cal on the back where he starts ripping off 50 Cal rounds at the officers.
2: Jesus Christ.
0: And there's this there's this story um, from one of the officers. It's, it's actually on Tread, which is a Netflix documentary. You can check it out. They talk about Killdozer in depth and the whole story leading all the way up, right? It's yeah. like this very simplified version, but like he talks about like watching that shit go... And then you're like, oh, shit. And he starts running. And he dives behind a concrete like block. And then he starts ripping off 50 cow rounds on him. <laughs> Just like going right over the top of him. Crazy.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing this actually on like a, uh, like most wild police chase video or whatever, like in the 2000s on like, you know, like true TV type shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing this rampage and I had forgot about it until you like kind of mentioned it to me. And. This shit, like, it goes deep. It's crazy. It goes deep.
0: It's, it's insane. So, one officer dropped a flashbang grenade down a Killdozer's exhaust pipe with no apparent effect. Local state patrol, a local and state patrol, including a SWAT team, walked behind and beside the Killdozer, occasionally firing, but the armored bulldozer was impervious to their shots. Attempts to disable the bulldozer's cameras with their gunfire failed as the bullets were not able to penetrate the three inch bulletproof plastic. Um, at one point under Sheriff Glenn Trainer climbed on top of the bulldozer and quote, rode it like a <laughs> bronic buster like a bronc buster (laughs)
1: they really Um, missed one right there they could have said he wrote it like a bull
0: yeah dozer yeah (laughs) trying to figure out how uh trying to figure out a way to get a bullet inside of the dragon is what he said yeah however he was forced to jump off to avoid uh hitting the ceiling (laughs) sorry hitting uh (laughs) hitting debris yeah um At this point, local authorities and the Colorado State Patrol feared that they were running out of options in terms of firepower, and then Heemeyer would CERN... Uh, soon turn against civilians in Granby. Governor Bill Owens allegedly considered authorizing National Guard to either uh, use an Apache attack helicopter equipped with a Hellfire missile, or two-man fire teams <laughs> equipped with Javelin anti-tank missiles to destroy the bulldozer. That's fucking Holy insane, shit. dude! <laughs> Can you <laughs> fucking imagine that? Where they're like, they're like, hey, we got the military on the way. And they're like, oh, cool. They're gonna like. Block him. They're like, it's like Reaper Two six. We're going sure. I can have the helper. <laughs> just, fucking, like, <laughs> just fucking hit him on like, like 40 mil. Just, <laughs> yeah, that's gnarly. <laughs> goes out and blows a fucking, can you imagine how crazy that'd be? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be so wild. Um, But, this was uh, quickly shut down because moments after uh, it was deemed unnecessary, when He Meyer became trapped in the basement of the Gambles hardware store. So he had rammed through the wall and then fallen partially into the basement. Oh. Trapping himself. Yeah. Um, as of late 2011, uh, Governor Owen's staff vehemently denied the consideration of this, in the course of action of using Apache. <laughs> Uh, since then, many members of State Patrol uh, reveled, uh, revealed to that to the contrary, the governor did consider authorizing the attack, but ultimately decided against it due to the potential for collateral damage of a missile strike in the heart of Granby being significantly higher than what he Myra could have caused with his bulldozer. Um,
2: that is, you know what, that's fair.
0: Sure. Uh, various problems arose as he Meyer, destroyed the Gamble's hardware store. The radiator of the bulldozer had been damaged. The engine block was leaking various fluids. At one point during the shootout, he um, the hydraulics failed in the latch, the, 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 the drop-down part for his rifles, and he didn't know that and was just ripping off rounds, incendiary 50-cal rounds, and they were not able to penetrate the backplate armor of his killdozer. And he fires about three rounds, realizing that it's not happening. Um, After about three minutes, one of these SWAT team members who had swarmed the machine, reportedly hearing a single gunshot from inside the SEAL cab. It was later determined that Heemeyer had shot himself with a .357 caliber handgun, ending the rampage. Damn. Police first used explosives in an attempt to remove the armor plates, But after the third explosion failed, they cut through them with an oxyacetylene cutting torch. That's what it took to cut through these. Grand County Emergency Medical Management Director Jim uh, Holohan uh, stated that authorities were able to access and remove Heemeyer's body at 2 a.m. on June 5th. Wow. That's a long time that took them to get to that body. Yeah. So, 2 a.m. on June 5th, and he started on June 4th. So
2: it's a long ass time. Went a
0: long, long time. Um, as for the aftermath, uh, on April 19, 2005, the town announced plans to scrap He Myers bulldozer. The plan involved uh, dispersing individual pieces to separate scrap yards to prevent souvenir taking, which I can understand, but at the same time, I would kind of be like can we just put this in the center of town and be like, y'all fucking remember that? That shit was crazy. Although no one other than Heemeyer was killed in the incident, the modified bulldozer has occasionally been referred to as the killdozer. Yeah, dude. So it is unclear whether this is um, like a kind of like a, a nod to the 1944 story of Killdozer, or it's 1974 film adaptation of um, the independent uh, coinage. Um, but in addition to his writings that he might had left in his shed, he had recorded three audio tapes explaining his motivation for the attack, leaving basically leaving No room for questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. The tapes contained two separate recordings on each side for a total of six recordings. He mailed these to his brother in South Dakota, Dakota, surely before uh, stepping into his bulldozer. Oh, damn. So he mailed his brother, then turned the tapes over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, uh, the FBI, obviously, who in turn sent them to Grand County Sheriff's Department. Um, the tapes were released by the Grand County Sheriff's Office on August the thir- uh, 31st, 2004. The tapes were about two and a half hours in length. The first recording was made on April 13th, 2004. The last recording was made on May 22nd, 13 days before the rampage. Um, he says, God built me for this job. He and said in his first recording. He said it was his God's plan that he would not be married or have a family so that he could be in a position to carry out such an attack. I think God will bless me with the machine. I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, to do the stuff that I have to do. He said, God bless me and the advantage for, for the task that I am about to undertake. It is my duty. God asked me to do this. It's a cross that I'm going to carry. And I'm carrying it in God's name.
2: Why do you sound like you should be voicing over a truck commercial right there?
0: (laughs) The y'all new Ford 25 (laughs) (laughs) F-150. The y'all new (laughs) Kildo Ford 25. Hold on, hold on. Let me pull up up a little bit. Um, Let's see. I got to (laughs) find the y'all new Kamamatsu T-3055A killdozer (laughs) yeah so um basically major delusions of yeah the gods telling me to build a killdozer um investigators later found that Meyer's handwritten list of targets according to police included buildings that he destroyed the local catholic church which he did not damage um which is good um, the names of various people who he had cited against in the past uh, disputes. Notes found by investigators after the incident indicated that the primary motivation for the bulldozer rampage was his plan to stop the concrete plant from being built near his shop. These notes indicated that he had held grudges over the zoning approval. Quote, I was always willing to be reasonable until it had to be unreasonable. He wrote, sometimes reasonable men do unreasonable things. That's terrible. Which is the fucking hardest quote, yeah. <laughs> and that is the story of Killdozer. Yeah.
2: Hell yeah!
3: You
0: know, if Killdozer what story. What a story!
2: If Killdozer hadn't been scrapped, Zach, Zach Bagans would be like, "Can't that, dude." Honest,
0: honest <laughs> to God, though. If like they had a piece of killdozer, you know, they're like, this is a real piece of killdozer. I'd probably fucking buy it. Yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, it, it, it's kind of like a North Hollywood shootout thing. Like the, the bad guys died, you know, the town was able to rebuild, you know, like it's, you know, it, yeah. it's a happy ending to a really shitty situation. Right. You know? um. So it, it's also just an incredible piece of true crime history where you kind of go like, well, it's not like it's not like um what's what's the word word I'm looking for? Um it's um like people collect like uh like like murder murderphilia, Like people collect oh, like yeah. um you yeah, know like yeah. like items from crime scenes and shit like this is there's Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses and shit like shit like that, you know. Yeah. Like that 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 is a definitely like a real niche thing, you know. Um that I can, I can see people understand like I understand Some people are like it is interesting it is obscure but with yeah. these two stories particularly it's like that's just crazy yeah <laughs> you that know it's
3: just fucking wild
0: yeah can you fucking imagine though if like they they did authorize that apache to come in how crazy that shit <laughs> that would, be. would be nuts <laughs> bro <laughs> they're be like nuts. they're taking off from the airbase and they're like uh, what's be your target? And it's like uh your target's gonna be a um uh bulldozer <laughs> and they're like <laughs> copy <laughs> they go in and they're like oh my god it is a bulldozer <laughs> yeah and they're just like <laughs> just fucking <laughs> just hitting it and they're like what do we do launch a rocket at it yeah the javelin would have been fucking crazy too because yeah, I, yeah. I had a feel i have a feeling if they did allow that he would have just been like all right boys <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> just goes, you
0: know like this is the first time uh, i've ever done this out here so it's gonna get fucking weird man <laughs> But if you enjoyed that story, thank you so much. Rate us five stars. listening up, like, share, subscribe, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. You know what I mean? Uh, go check out the Doc Comedy podcast, you know, .com pod on Instagram. Um, you can check us out on Spotify and all the listening apps and shit like that. We out there, we out there. That's me and Marty's podcast. Me, Marty, and Charles. Excuse me. But um, we've we out here. We just had a really crazy guest who was our most famous guest Ever? Ever? Hmm. <laughs> um, that was on. That was very, very cool. <laughs> 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 i
3: been trying to like not
2: actually laugh the entire
0: time he's been um, doing
3: that.
0: You can follow me on Instagram at I Hunt the Haunted. And I'm gonna pass it along. Oh, sorry, and also follow uh, you know, us on Facebook, Hans Graves and Omens, follow us on TikTok, it's shield Podcast, follow us on Instagram, it's shield podcast. You had a crazy weird story, and maybe you've experienced some really weird spooky shit, or maybe you've been part of a true crime story, or you know someone who experienced a killdozer or was a cop in the North Hollywood shootout. I don't know, something like that. Email us, it's shield podcast at gmail.com. Passing it along to take
2: Hi, you can follow me on Instagram at Lunar Thrill. Um i am on tiktok i don't use it very often but it is the same (laughs) user of lunar thrill and yeah that's about it so we'll pass it along to marty
1: you can follow me on instagram at ghetto feather uh follow my band um the mfa at the motherfuckers of the apocalypse uh yeah and uh thanks for tuning in
0: Like, (laughs) share, (laughs) subscribe. Well, remember to stay spooky. Stay haunted. And sometimes reasonable men are forced to do unreasonable things.